Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual neurolinguistic programming and cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session in both French and English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website can be found at lifecoach.amzalai.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our fifth episode of season 14, a special guest and master certified coach, Angie Wisdom. And just like every of my past episodes, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Angie, the floor is yours. Thanks for having me, Dr. Dan. Uh, Yes, I am a master certified coach. I work with clients and businesses on elevating their life, elevating their business, really tapping into their full potential so that, that they are living their best life and most meaningful success in their business. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. And I'm sure that our listeners also appreciate it. <laughs> now, um, what brought you to become a master certified coach? And what are the typical clients that you have? Are they those who are dealing with not knowing where to take their business to a certain level, how to cross certain milestones? And when it comes to individual, what what is really the, the focus that you put in to be able to help them? I started out in the financial industry and always had a passion for helping people, help them more obviously on the investment side, and then realized I really liked helping people in an area that was more controllable, not tied to the stock market. And so I started helping people build their business and I really found a passion for it. And truthfully, I used to be more of a performance coach where really, you know, I taught people how to give it their all at all costs, no matter what it did to them mentally or physically, just to win. And through my own personal journey, I realized that was a really unhealthy way to go about it. Even though there were a lot of victories and wins, we needed more of a balance and that we could actually have more success if we did things in a better way. And so I really transferred over to that life coaching space so that I could provide people with a more holistic, healthy way to get those wins and victories. So when it comes to certain personalities when they're so obsessed to be able to find or to uh, accomplish their goals, how do you allow them to be able to do this work-life balance? Yes. And that's a great question because most of my clients are very high achievers. You know, they are always like looking for that next finish line and the next accomplishment. And really because we have science to show this and because I have real life data with clients, it's an easy transition for them to make when they realize that once we add some balance, once we fill ourselves up, they actually have a higher output potential. And that's music to their ears because they're saying, oh, wait, I can become more successful if I give myself a little balance. So it becomes an easy sale for them. Wow. So what is the secret then to be able to establish this balance? Because obviously um, it's easier said than done, especially those who are high achievers. They're going to have to completely change their mindset to be able to establish that balance into their lives. And it's not as easy as we can just say it like uh, quickly over a podcast. So what are the transitional portion of your plan that will help them create this balance? 
It, it really isn't a flip of the switch. Like you said, it's rewiring their mind to think differently. The first thing that we need to do is kind of debunk the story that they have. Most of these high achievers believe that, well, I've got to keep doing what I've been doing or I'm going to lose what I have. Mm -hmm. So we first kind of debunk that and give them a different belief. And that belief is if I give to myself a little bit, I have more energy, my battery charges, therefore I have more output and can gain more. And then what that process looks like is let's just talk about like what fills you up. When we take a minute away from work, what fills you up? Because those are going to be your energy enhancers, which, you know, I refer to as your values. That's step one, knowing what fills you up so that you can proactively get them in your day. And then as soon as you start seeing that reward of, wow, I got my values in and my output was higher, people are motivated to keep going. So what is the timeline? I mean, I know it's very catered to each and every one, but I mean, is there, if let's say they do more for a certain period of time, are they going to reach that level that you're talking about quicker than later? So how, how based on your past uh, history, what is the typical timeline that you have seen being repeated over and over again? Honestly, you will see a difference instantly if you stay consistent with it. And, and for example, I have a morning mindset journal. It's a five to 10 minute practice that people do in the morning that sets them up for a proactive day. But what it also is doing is giving them five to 10 minutes to listen to themselves. Even that one little tweak, people will instantly say like, oh, I felt so much more like calm and peace in my day. I felt so much more, you know, energetic and proactive. So they feel that productivity increase instantly. But really, I think your big benchmarks are, you know, three months down the road, you have this larger bandwidth and almost like a clear mind to start executing and firing differently. So um, is there like some who have gone through like traumatic uh, failure in their life? Is it also something that can be rewired at this point? Because they have some limiting belief or they have this kind of imposter syndrome that they have been carrying for so long. Is there a way to be able to change this mindset? Almost everybody out there has some kind of limiting belief, past experience, trauma, even if they don't realize what it is, they're carrying that. We all have past years that are now in our subconscious. Sure. So we can absolutely rewire those. And what it takes is choosing your new belief or your story and consistently every single day, placing that into your mind and backing it up with action. And, and I say, you know, basically it's affirmation and intention around your new story. That is so good. That is so true. Now, when it comes to um, different exercises that you recommend the most that our listeners can actually take advantage of, uh, I'm not trying for them to circumvent your services here, but I'm just trying yeah. to kind of give them some tools that they could put into practice as soon as they finish listening to this podcast. So is there like a, a specific five-step process or 10-step process that they could actually go and um, apply without really having to wonder if they're missing a few pieces of the puzzle? There are several, but I'm going to give you one of my favorite ones that people can implement right away to understand what kind of power they have to do something differently. And it's easy to remember because I call it CPR. It's like self-administered CPR. Okay. And all that is, is we're catching what's coming up. So that's self-awareness. We're pausing 
so that we actually get to think about what's happening. And then we're responding in a way that makes sense for us. That process right there is going to start to rewire things for you because naturally we're very reactive people. We aren't self-aware. The subconscious beliefs come, we simply react, and then we generally have regret or remorse later if we weren't happy with that reaction. So implementing this CPR, catch it. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking this. Pause. What do I want to do with it? It really starts to give people this vision of like, wow, I have the power to change something. I have the power to make different decisions to respond. And that's a great first place to start. But then if you uh, if you read about the, that there's around 60 to 70,000 thoughts going through our mind every mm-hmm. single day, approximately one per second, how are we going to capture all the negative, all the positive? How are we going to create that balance and be able to extract what we want to focus the most on? Because obviously we cannot really analyze every of our thoughts. That's mm-hmm. my modeling and literally and figuratively speaking. But yes. is there a way to be able to kind of like target a specific few of them and say, yes, you know what? I'll I'll focus more on that versus all the other that comes its way. Great question. And and I highly recommend you zone in on one area first. Perfect example. When I started my transition, the first thing I wanted to do was have more peace in my life. Mm-hmm. I just, I tended to be a person that reacted Um, when things didn't go my way. I became frustrated. If I couldn't control things, it was annoying. And I said, I just want to be a more peaceful person. So having that thought every single day and going, I'm going to choose peace. What happened with that was my mind would catch the thoughts that were not in alignment with peace. So, you know, somebody cut me off on the road. And all of a sudden, you know, my heart races and I get angry. My brain is going, wait, we decided we were focusing on peace. And so it's easy to capture that thought because I had committed to working on that one particular area. But okay, so like if if you do focus on a specific area and those who actually are too much into wanting to control their situation, is it to kind of let them go and realize that what's out of my control, I'm just going to let it go? Because if they're too focused on controlling every aspect of their lives, again, easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think it's about necessarily control here. It's control over the way you respond. That's the one thing we really have control over. I can't control the person cutting me off in traffic, no. but I can certainly control the way I respond to it. The and reaction. that's what we have to pay attention to. It's almost like letting go of our uncontrollables and focusing on the things that we can control. And I can absolutely decide that it doesn't matter. And I'm going to let that go. That, yes. And this is what, when we see road rage and those who are <laughs> losing their lives because some people are really pretty nuts on the road. <laughs> right. When it comes to someone's career, um, Angie, what, what would be the best recommendation that you would give someone who's starting up when it comes to cre- or starting their own businesses and all? Um, it's pretty scary for those who have not experienced like mm-hmm. like 20 or 30 years experience in it, but someone who just is an entrepreneur, someone who really wants to be able to create their own legacy, whatever it is, is there like a specific thing that you have to give them like a set of tools before really deciding if entrepreneurship is the best option for them? 
Yeah, I mean, it, deciding whether entrepreneurship is the best option for them, I like to refer people back to their values, like what's important to you. And to give you an example, if someone sits down with me and I talk to them about their values and they love um, stability and security and they love time freedom and all these things that are really kind of generally in conflict with entrepreneurship, <laughs> I'm like, maybe we should consider something else, right? That, that is so true because everything that you said is completely the polar opposite of what entrepreneur goes through. Right. And some people really just think like, oh, I have this great idea and this great, great business idea and I want to implement it, but they have zero desire to be, you know, tied to a business all the time to have constant challenges in, and they don't realize what comes along with that entrepreneurship. Is it, do people lack the sacrificeability because knowing that they're going to have to put aside their family time, put aside their friend time, et cetera, that deters them from actually getting into becoming an entrepreneur? I mean, do, or, and this is what the million dollar question, are, are entrepreneurs born or made? Mm. You know, I, I don't have an answer to that question. I, I've seen it on both sides because I have seen people come into me that I would have never thought were an entrepreneur. You know, they're not they're not showing up that way from a personality perspective and what they've done in the past, but they become so passionate about what they want to do that they will start to be able to kind of reconcile and sacrifice. Like, I know I'm going to have to give this up. I know I'm going to have to give this up and I'm okay with that. But a lot of that is realizing it up front and having those expectations. It's much different than when you're blindsided by it and you jump into a business and you're like, I didn't know it was going to take up so much time. I didn't know I was going to have to sacrifice these things, you know? So in, in any of your consultation, have people realized that maybe entrepreneurship was not really for them based on their values, or they were so adamant to be able to find that freedom, not to be, clo I mean, not to be slave of another uh, I would say organization and having to live inside that matrix. Have you tried to kind of like given them the tools to be able to realize with themselves that entrepreneurship may not be the best solution? I've seen it several times and it, there's a few ways we work with it. Sometimes I've literally seen people go back to other companies where they're like, I just, I don't want to have a lifestyle like this. And they almost realize maybe the grass wasn't greener. So they go back to a company, which is fine if that aligns with their values. But we also have the ability to go, okay, well, what are you missing out on? And how can we fix that? So I had a CEO, for example, and he's like, I don't know. I didn't realize I was going to have to give up so much freedom, so much family time, constantly be on. Well, we brought in, you know, two executives that really took over the brunt of what was always tying him down. So we still got to be the entrepreneur, still got to have a company that he loves, but really was able to delegate these things that chained him to his company. So sure, there's going to be a higher output as far as expense is concerned, but it's worth the cost of him getting those values in. So it was more a cause of the organizational structure that caused him to feel imprisoned of his own business versus him trying to either love what he does or start regretting his decisions because i mean have you seen an entrepreneur that regretted to be an entrepreneurship i mean is there only a one-way street or is it both ways that's the question 
Because I mean, do entrepreneurs go into entrepreneurship and regressive and then go work for someone or people who work for someone and then end up wanting to go into entrepreneurship? Well, I think that it, I think it's a two-way street. I think it happens both ways. And luckily, you know, for the entrepreneurs that start to regret and have that remorse, they have people like you and I to talk to. Yes. Right. And they start to see other possibilities that it's not just this, oh, I have to do it this way or I've got to go back where we can go. Okay. Well, what would make this entrepreneurship the vision that you initially had? Because the truth of the matter is you can be an entrepreneur and not be chained to your company. It is all organizational structure and who you have in place to do things. But a lot of entrepreneurs think that they need to be the one who has their hand in everything and they're the ones who tie themselves to it. Right. But we're being taught in school Angie, that the entrepreneur have to wear every hat, Uh marketing, the accountant, the HR, this and that. So changing people's perspective about what the role of an entrepreneur is, it's really a visionary. It's Mm -hmm. not doing what we've been told to do just because of the educational system found. This is exactly what your role is. But mm-hmm. it has changed since the beginning of times when they taught us, okay, entrepreneurs should be do, do, doing this and this and this. But then you let the business run you and you don't run the business. So where is the distinction between both? What should an entrepreneur do? Should, should, should they just delegate and focus on the vision or to avoid any monkey business in the organization, be able to have their nose in basically every single department? Mm-hmm. In, it's a process and you have to set up those expect, expectations in the beginning. The problem is, is that I believe entrepreneurships look, looks messy in the beginning and you are wearing all those hats unless you're fully funded and you have the ability to bring these people on, you know, but I also believe there's a lot of value in that entrepreneur playing a bit of every role because they really get to know the inside and outs of their business, but where they go wrong is they never step away from it. And they get that thought, like you said, that, well, because I've done everything, this is the way I need to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. When really what we need to do is go, listen, you're going to do everything for the first year. Yes. And at a year's mark or at this revenues mark, we're going to take those training wheels off and you're going to become the real CEO and the visionary. And this is what it looks like. So if they go into it with those expectations, then they kind of know like, okay, this is when I'm bringing this marketing person on. This is when I'm bringing in the, CE- the COO. So they kind of believe that this is the way that it unfolds instead of thinking that they're the crutch that has to you know, hold the whole company up. But then again, every entrepreneur will tell you the exact same thing, Angie, is that no one can do it as best as me or no one has the heart for the company as I do. So sure. I mean, come to think of it, Everyone else is just an employee. You own it. No one's going to put their heart and soul into growing the business because it's not theirs. It's someone else's. So how can you, and this is what we have seen in the great resignation during the pandemic, where a lot mm-hmm. of people like to leave because they never really felt a part of the organization. They mm-hmm. just the employee number at best. So mm-hmm. how can you change your staff mindset to make them feel that they're actually a part of the growth? Give them share options give them like what would you recommend to be able to have everyone to see the same as you the entrepreneur 
Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'd say that's a, that's a big excuse that people use often, but it is exactly that it's an excuse. It's a easy way to not delegate and give people responsibility. But the truth is it's the delegation responsibility that make the employees feel like they have skin in the game and they're part of the company. It's the, the management that never allows them to do anything that makes them feel like they're just another cog in the wheel and, you know, not a part of this company. So there really has to be a shift in owners giving employees, not ownership in the way of financial, but ownership of their roles and passion behind it so that they can really feel like they're a part of it. And I'm all for, yes, having equity, you know, options, if, if it's a company that does that, or even a 401k, something where it says to the employees, like, hey, the more I do well for this company, the more it benefits the company and myself. That's correct. Exactly. And, but this is, this is the thing. I mean, do you feel that it's better to do this in the beginning when you hire someone to explain Mm -hmm. to them everything, their, their participation in the growth of the company will render positive results for them as well versus um, because I don't see many organizational culture that has that, that has that Mm -hmm. benefit that people can actually say, I'm a part of the success. I'm not a part of the liability. So right. where and but then managers have not been raised this way, especially those who the company for 30, 40 years. They're old school. They think that, oh, you know what? Least we give them and least errors or mistake can be made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. where do we go to the source or to the hierarchy? I mean, wh- wh- who do we tackle first? Yeah, it has to start with management. It really has to start with them doing things differently. And we've seen this evolve, but gosh, it's been a slow evolution of micromanaging and giving people tasks and having consequences versus leading and empowering people. Mm-hmm. And that's still just really kind of coming into our companies right now, but it's that culture that changes everything. And, you know, the management has to start, you know, leading differently and the owners, the CEOs have to create that culture from the very beginning. So when they have somebody come on board, they really are saying, we're looking for somebody who wants to be a part of this company, of this vision, so that they're really getting the buy-in from people. And, And that's followed up with, do you know what your employees have goals around? Do you know what fills their cup? Do you know where they want to go in this company? Instead of just here's your job. I'm going to check and make sure how you're doing every single quarter and keep going, you know? So get away from micromanagement. Basically just, so it all starts with the interviewer. Mm-hmm. So this is basically the core of the organization, whoever brings in new people to give them the right information as to who is actually the best candidate for this kind of position. It's so true because look, there are going to be people who want to be micromanaged and just come in and hit the time clock and do what they're told. And they're not going to be the right fit for that type of organization. So having that candid conversation up front about, you know, where do you see yourself? And this is the kind of culture we have really start selecting the right people from the very beginning. Beautiful. Now, um, when it comes to those who have, um, you know, those who come to you and they are just a bit lost about what is the best option for them? They have this, they have this given you all their values, et cetera. And you find that there's just the right balance between 
being an entrepreneur or starting their own business, but yet adverse to risk. I mean, mm. like a, a, a like a thin line between both on which one would you direct them to? It's so interesting you asked that question because if you poll several entrepreneurs and people who work for companies about risk, you'll find that some of your entrepreneurs think it's a higher risk to work for a company because they can be let go at any time. That's so true, yes. Versus employees go, well, it's such a high risk to have my own company because I don't have any stability and security and payroll. But so it's interesting, like, what is the risk there? And that comes back to people's, you know, stability and security. Are you, do you want to be in charge of creating your own income and your destiny? Or do you want that to be in somebody else's hands per se and company? You know, it, everyone has a different risk tolerance based upon how they grew up. That, that is so true. And do you feel that those who have been raised in a family that is, filled with entrepreneurs, do you feel that they're more pressured to be able to go that route because everyone else been like uncles or cousin or brothers or sisters that they're entrepreneurs? Do you feel that they're more likely to become entrepreneurs as well? Or do they want to be, or they seen all the struggles of their family going through business, the risk, the losses of money, the losing homes, losing assets? What, what is your say about that? In my 25 years of working with people, it it's in their blood almost. You know, I see the entrepreneurs that come to me and they're like, well, my mother or father was this, you know? And so it really, it's not a pressure, but it's just what they've been exposed to. And even the hardships of things, they'll sometimes say, you know, my parents lost everything in 2008 or they'll have some story around it, but yet they're still going down that entrepreneur route because they've seen the benefits, they've seen the time freedom, maybe, or the flexibility, or the wealth, they've seen those nuggets that they want to grab. So they're willing to take that risk. So I, I can't tell you a time that I've ever talked to somebody where they've been like, I'd never start my own company, my parents did that. And it was a nightmare. (laughs) I've never heard that before. Now, here's $1 million question for you. Yeah. All the entrepreneurs that you've been dealing with, are they happy? Oh, gosh, not always. No, that's often why they come to me because they're saying, I built this great company. I have all this wealth and this success. What's wrong with me? Why aren't I happy? So no, that is not a guaranteed ticket to happiness right there. <laughs> so then what do you, how do you convince them to look at things differently to be grateful, to appreciate all the wealth and abundance that they've they have been gifted, and for them to be able to start looking at things with a different perspective. Because I mean, when we have something, we always feel we're lacking something else, and we want more. It's always mm-hmm. what's next. What what is the next step? But mm-hmm. something the epitome of, of success. What else is there that lacks happiness? You know, oftentimes these entrepreneurs, they have all of those things and and we need to find gratitude for them, but they're not using them to actually live their life. So they, they have this wealth, they have this time, but they're not doing anything with it. So I, I always see two things that get in the way of happiness for entrepreneurs. One, they have zero time for themselves. So that one of the first questions I'll ask them is what do you do for you? What do you do for fun? Mm -hmm. And there's usually like, I don't have time. I haven't taken a vacation in 10 years, something like that. And the other thing is worry and stress. 
how much of your mind space capacity is spent worrying about tomorrow or next week or next year. And it's usually all of it. So two main things, we need to live in the present to get rid of the worry and we have to fill our cups up. We change those two things for an entrepreneur who's unhappy and everything changes. But the the core of the, or the essence of their happiness, it is if they already reached success, which is the reason why they got into entrepreneurship, if that is already reached, I mean, the, yeah, of course, there's always sacrifice. They were aware of the sacrifice, but how long do they have to accept to sacrifice more to be able to start gearing towards being happier? I don't really believe in full sacrificing. I think it's more modification. Okay. So for example, you may not be able to have your ideal family time right now or your ideal travel schedule, but you can certainly modify it so that you're getting something. And that's the key here. We can't starve ourselves (laughs) from all the things that are important to us because we will eventually stop operating. But we can say, this is what it would look like if I had a little vacation, a little time with family. And that modification goes a long way. So tell me, for our listeners, where can people find you? And I'm sure that a lot of them are really eager to be able to speak to you. Um, Do you have like any website or any uh, social media links? Absolutely. My name's pretty uncommon with the last name Wisdom. So you can Google Angie Wisdom, but my Instagram is Angie Wisdom Life Coach. My website is Angie Wisdom. Same for YouTube and LinkedIn. I put a ton of free content out there. I'm always um, trying to coach people where they need it um, online or in Instagram. So feel free to reach out. Beautiful. Well, Angie, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible tips and advice. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season 14 of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Happiness is the sensation of loving one's life. Being mindful is falling in love with the present moment. And love is seeing the very best in someone or anything when you look at them. Love is contentment with what you perceive. So love and happiness are the same thing. They are simply conveyed differently. Gratitude opens the door to the fullness of life. It multiplies what we have into more than enough. It transforms rejection into acceptance, disorder into order, and confusion into clarity. It has the power to transform a meal into a feast, a house into a home, and a stranger into a friend. Gratitude makes meaning of our history, provides serenity to the present, and generates a vision to the future. Focus on the journey rather than the destination. Joy is found in doing the activity rather than finishing it. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.